Hello, this is Father John Arthur or Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. This is our 12th program on Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. The talks given over five years in Rome by Pope John Paul II between 1979 and 1984. We're using the edition edited by Professor Michael Waldstein. What is shame? And how can one explain its absence in the state of original innocence, in the very depth of the mystery of creation of man as male and female, from the contemporary analysis of shame, and in particular of sexual shame, one can deduce the complexity of this fundamental experience in which man expresses himself as a person according to his own structure, in the experience of shame. The human being experiences fear in the face of the second eye, thus, for example, woman before man, and this is substantially fear for one's own eye. With shame, the human being manifests instinctively, as it were, the need for the affirmation and acceptance of this eye, according to its proper value. He experiences this at the same time within himself and toward the outside in the face of the other. One can thus say that shame is a complex experience in the sense that, while distancing one human being from another, woman from man, as it were, it seeks at the same time their personal approach toward each other, creating a suitable basis and level for such an approach. For the same reason, shame has a fundamental significance for the formation of ethos in the relation between human beings who live together, particularly in the relation between man and woman. The analysis of shame clearly indicates how deeply it is rooted precisely in their mutual relations, how exactly it expresses the essential rules for the communion of persons, and likewise how deeply it touches the dimension of man's original solitude. The emergence of man's original shame in the immediately subsequent narrative of Genesis chapter 3 has a meaning with many dimensions, and we must take up its analysis again in due time. What is the meaning, by contrast, of its original absence in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25? They were naked, but did not feel shame. We must establish, first of all, that it is a question of a true non-presence of shame, and not of a lack of of it or its insufficient development. Here we can in no way maintain a primitivization of its meaning. Thus, the text of Genesis chapter 2 verse 25 decidedly excludes not only the possibility of thinking about a lack of shame or about shamelessness, it excludes even more the possibility of explaining it by analogy with positive human experiences, the example given those of childhood or those of the life of so-called primitive peoples, such analogies are not merely insufficient, but they can be entirely misleading. The words of Genesis chapter 2 verse 25, they did not feel shame, 
do not express a lack, but, on the contrary, they serve to indicate a particular fullness of consciousness and experience, above all, the fullness of understanding, the meaning of the body connected with the fact that they were naked, that one should understand and interpret the text just quoted in this way, is witnessed to by the continuation of the Yahwist narrative in which the emergence of shame, and in particular of sexual shame, is linked with the loss of that original fullness. Presupposing, therefore, that the experience of shame is a boundary experience, we must ask ourselves, to what fullness of consciousness and experience, and in particular, to what fullness of understanding the meaning of the body, does the meaning of original nakedness correspond, about which Genesis chapter 2 verse 25 speaks. Participation in the visibility of the world. To answer this question, one must keep in mind the analytic process conducted so far, which has its base in the Yahwist passage as a whole. In this context, man's original solitude is portrayed as the non-identification of his own humanity with the world of the living beings, animalia, that surround him. This non-identification gives way, in consequence of man's creation as male and female, to the happy discovery of his own humanity with the help of the other human being. In this way, the man recognizes and finds his own humanity with the help of the woman. Genesis chapter 2, verse 25. This act of discovery on the part of both brings about at the same time a perception of the world that occurs directly through the body, flesh of my flesh. The discovery is the direct and visible source of experience that effectively establishes their unity in humanity. For this reason, it is not difficult to understand that nakedness corresponds to that fullness of consciousness of the meaning of the body that comes from the typical perception of the senses. One can think about this fullness in categories of the truth of being or reality, that one can say that the man and the woman were originally given to each other precisely according to this truth, inasmuch as they were naked. In the analysis of the meaning of original nakedness, one absolutely cannot set aside this dimension. This participation in the perception of the world in its exterior aspect is a direct and, as it were, spontaneous fact before any critical complication of knowledge and of human experience, and it seems to be strictly linked with the experience of the meaning of the body. Already in this way one could perceive the original innocence of knowledge, the inner dimension of vision, Yet one cannot identify the meaning of original nakedness by considering only man's share in the exterior perception of the world. One cannot determine it without going down into man's innermost being. Genesis 
chapter 2, verse 25, introduces us precisely to this level and wants us to look there for the original innocence of knowing. In fact, it is by the dimension of human interiority that one must explain and measure the particular fullness of interpersonal communion, thanks to which man and women were naked but did not feel shame. In our conventional language, the concept of communication has been nearly alienated from its deepest original semantic matrix. It is tied mainly to the realm of the media that is for the most part, to products that serve as means for understanding, exchange, and bringing people closer together. By contrast, one can rightly assume that in its original and deepest meaning, communication was and is directly connected with subjects who communicate precisely based on the common union that exists between them both to reach and to express a reality that is proper and pertinent to the sphere of subjects, persons, alone. In this way, the human body acquires a completely new meaning, which one cannot place on the same level as the remaining exterior perception of the world. In fact, it expresses the person in his or her ontological and essential concreteness, which is something more than individual, and thus expresses the human personal I, which grounds its exterior perception from within. The whole biblical narrative, and particularly the Yahwist text, shows that through its own visibility, the body manifests man, and in manifesting him acts as an intermediary that allows man and woman from the beginning to communicate with each other according to that communio personarum willed for them in particular by the Creator. Only this dimension, it seems, allows us to understand rightly the meaning of original nakedness. In this context, any naturalistic criterion is bound to fail, while the personalistic criterion can be of great help. Genesis chapter 2 verse 25 certainly speaks about something extraordinary that lies outside the limits of shame known by human experience, and that is decisive for the particular fullness of interpersonal communication. For the fullness that is rooted in the very heart of the communio, revealed and developed in this way, in such a relationship the words, they did not feel shame, can only signify, in sensu oblico, in an indirect sense, an original depth in affirming what is inherent in the person, that is, what is visibly feminine and masculine, through which the personal intimacy of reciprocal communication is constituted in all its radical simplicity and purity. To this fullness of exterior perception, expressed by physical nakedness, corresponds the interior fullness of the vision of man and God, that is, according to the measure of the image of God, 
See Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. According to this measure, man is truly naked. They were naked. Even before becoming aware of it, see Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. We must still complete the analysis of this important text in the next meditations. And with these words, our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, concluded his twelfth general audience on man and woman. He created them a theology of the body. This is part one of the work, chapter one of the work, the words of Christ. Christ appeals to the beginning. What is meant by the beginning? What is the meaning of original solitude? What is the meaning of the original unity? What is the meaning of original nakedness? And here he continues his meditation on shame as a boundary experience. We know what a boundary is on a football field. There are so many yards, the end zone, the sideline. Those are boundaries on a basketball court. On a tennis court, similarly, boundaries. There are city limits and county lines, national borders. Those are boundaries. And Pope John Paul II is emphasizing shame as a boundary experience insofar as in the beginning, and Christ appealed to the beginning, there was no shame, naked without shame. And then, once the fall, once original sin disordered the heavens and the earth, human existence, you name it, then shame entered in, and that's the boundary. And we live after that. That's the state of our existence now. We live not only after the fall, but we also live after the redemption. It's very important to remember that too. The death and resurrection of the new Adam, who is Christ the Lord, bridegroom of Mother Church. So some of the things that are very important for the Pope here in this 12th installment of his catechesis on man and woman, he created them a theology of the body, is about shame. What is shame? To ask what something is, is a very important question. It's a sign of the human intelligence. Not only what is something, but in this case, what is shame? They, it was absent in the beginning, and then once the fall occurred, then it appeared. Pope John Paul II draws our attention to contemporary analysis of shame, and he speaks specifically of sexual shame. Shame being a complex experience. It's a non-presence of shame in the beginning, not a lack of shame, and not shamelessness. Those two are despicable. They are a disorder. If you do something shameful, you should feel shame. The lack of shame or shamelessness is not this non-presence of shame in the beginning. It corresponds with original innocence, with the original solitude, with the original unity, the original nakedness. Naked before God without shame. Naked before each other, Adam and Eve, without shame. Sin is what changed the reality, and not only the sin of our first parents, but our own sin. And so shame is a motivator for repentance, for contrition, for changed behavior. Pope John Paul II points out that shame is a complex experience. There are simple experiences, I suppose, and here he's calling attention to this as a complex experience. Complex because of the one who experiences it, but the one who experiences it experiences it in the presence of, or because of the presence of, the other. 
the other being God, the other being Eve, Adam, as the case might be. But this is true not only in the sacred text, in the sacred scripture. The Pope draws attention to the personal I, to my I, your I. Not that through which we see, but that one letter which stands for our very self. When we stand before another and sing a song. When we dance before another and they see our moves. When we open our mouths and speak. What's the joke? It's better to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and have it proved. Shame enters the picture if shameworthy things are said or spoken of. The experience of shame is a boundary experience, not only in the beginning, in the creation, but also in relations with each other. Someone commits a crime. The crime is discovered. The crime is prosecuted. Punishment is meted out by the civil courts, by the ecclesiastical courts. There is shame involved. It's a boundary experience. Before the crime, after the crime. Before conviction, after conviction. The boundary and shame occurs ought to occur when other boundaries are broken, when the holy law of God is transgressed. That's another boundary, a boundary which should not be crossed. Repentance, that's a different boundary. Pope John Paul II draws our attention to so many different aspects of the origins because he is following Christ who appeals to the beginning, the origin of all that is on earth, in the heavens, all that God has created. So Pope John Paul II draws our attention to original innocence, to original solitude, to original shame, to the original fullness of consciousness, to the original fullness of understanding, and even, in this part, original nakedness, naked without shame. Pope John Paul II asks the question repeatedly, not only what is shame, but what is the meaning of it all, the meaning of the original absence of shame. What is the meaning of innocence, original innocence, and our own? What is the meaning of solitude, original solitude? There have been those in the history of the world who would deny that there is any meaning. It doesn't mean anything. Well, do they mean what they say when they say there is no meaning? When you look at it that way, you see how the logic is lacking. The sacred scriptures have their meaning. And there's a rich depth of meaning, and so too each part of the sacred scripture, depth of meaning. And even apart from the sacred inspired word of God, there is what Pope John Paul II is calling here the theology of the body based on experience. You who are listening now, I who am speaking now, we are incarnate beings. We are not just our souls, but similarly, we're not just our bodies. We're body-soul composite. Are you hungry right now? Are you thirsty right now? Are you tired right now? Are you well rested right now? Are you understanding right now? These are experiences you are having, I am having, we are having in our bodies, corporeally, spiritually, the whole us. Oh no, that's just my body. Well, your body is not existing apart from you. We are incarnate beings. We have an experience of our bodiliness, we have an experience of shame. Oh, what a shame. The sun never came out today. Oh, what a shame. It was so hot today. This is a different sort of shame. The shame which the Holy Father is drawing our attention to is a moral shame because of an offense against God. The holiness of God and the holiness to which God has called us all and calls us still. Pope John Paul II not only asks us to ask the question, what is the meaning of 
of the original absence of shame, but what is the meaning of original nakedness? What is the meaning of communication? When Pope John Paul II asks these questions and has us ask them ourselves, it's good to remember his philological background. He was a student of linguistics, of language, origins of words and meanings of words. So he's being true to his school, as it were. When Pope John Paul II talks to us in his Theology of the Body, Man and Woman, He Created Them, about participation in the visibility of the world, we are reminded of our being in the world. This harkens back to the original solitude. But we're not just in the world, we have an appreciation for it. We have an understanding of the world. We are animals like the beasts, but we are rational animals. So we can make sense of the visible world, and we are not limited to what is visible. I see a wall. I see a a lake. Is it a natural lake, or is it a man-made lake because of a dam upstream, or a dam made by beavers? I can look for causes. We participate in the visibility of the world by our understanding, by our vision, but we are also part of the visible world. This is something not insignificant. We are able to perceive the world, perceive it with our senses, no doubt, to touch, to taste, to smell, to hear, to feel, but there's a perception which is extrasensory. Pope John Paul II is focusing here our attention on human interiority, what we have within ourselves. He makes the distinction between exterior perception and interior fullness of the vision of God in man. Our interiority, what are our deepest joys, our deepest sorrows, our deepest desires? These are things which we may manifest exteriorly. We may speak about them, we may write about them, we may sing about them, tell other people. We might have an expression on our face, but we may also have a poker face. We may tell only God in a quiet prayer. Again, in this 12th Catechesis, Pope John Paul II highlights the importance of the body as that which manifests man. When you see someone, their face, you hear their voice, you pat them on the back, the body manifests man, makes him present. Even when buried in a tomb, you say, well, this is the resting place of the mortal remains of so-and-so. The body manifests man. Pope John Paul II makes the distinction for us also, highlighting it, that uh, the communio personarum, the communion of persons, is something which he is analyzing throughout this body of work, these reflections on the theology of the body. The communion of persons, not only of the Holy Trinity, the Eternal Father, the Eternal Son, the Eternal Spirit, but also that communion of persons which are husband and wife, the communion of persons which is the family. He is not equating naturalistic criteria for a communion of persons with the personalistic criteria, and he is highlighting the greatness, the superiority of the personalistic criteria for what just is uh, the communion of persons. Naturalistic, not in the sense of a shared common human nature, because that's already leaning towards a personalistic criteria, but naturalistic in the sense of base attraction, common interests, 
a personalistic criteria for a communion of persons is recognizing in the other person another self. That's a true communion of persons, the respect given one to the other in each. Pope John Paul II is encouraging in this 12th Catechesis the fullness of interpersonal communication. Again, he had reminded us earlier that communication is not just uh, marketing for the media or mass media, but that interpersonal relating. The fullness of interpersonal communication implies recognition of each other as persons. What is inherent in the person? What is underlying? These are the things, the deep things, Pope John Paul II is analyzing in his presentation of the theology of the body. And he has 133 of these presentations, 133 of these talks. He delivered 129 of them, and the other four round out the work. Pope John Paul II had put this body of work together even before he was the Bishop of Rome, but it had not yet been published. So he published it piecemeal, week by week, over those five years. And in that way, it enjoys a certain share. It participates in his papal magisterium, even if not the solemn and extraordinary sort. That's definitely part of the ordinary teaching of the Bishop of Rome, his Wednesday catechesis, reminding us not only about sacred scripture, but sacred tradition, reminding us about the truth of Jesus Christ, bridegroom of the church, the new Adam, and the truth about ourselves. Next program, we'll conclude this fourth section of chapter one of part one, the words of Christ, Christ appeals to the beginning, what is meant by beginning, the meaning of original solitude, the meaning of original unity, the meaning of original nakedness. We'll conclude that part and begin man in the dimension of gift. All of these programs, all of these 133 catechesis helping us to grow in faith and hope and love. Faith in Christ, our Redeemer, who became like us in all things but sin to save us from our sins. Faith in his eternal Father, who is our Father by grace and baptism. Faith in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and the giver of life, patron of our parish here in Knoxville. Charity, love for God and love for our neighbor, love for ourselves as God would have us do. This is our call. We are made to the image of God who is love, as St. John assures us, inspired by the Holy Spirit. But it is hope. That was the reason why Pope John Paul II gave these conferences, why he wrote his work. It was a longing for heaven, for himself, and for those who would hear him or read his words. Hope is this longing for heaven. That's why the Father sent the Son into the world to redeem us, to show us the way home. Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. What will set us free from our sins? The truth. And Christ is the truth, incarnate. And he's reminded us of how it was in the beginning. If we are faithful to Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, our hope is assured. If we repent our sins, if we abhor them and we ask and receive God's mercy in the here and now, then our hope is well assured. Confidence that the Lord Jesus will return again in glory to judge the living and the dead, Pope Benedict XVI reminds us, is a source of hope. For we can fool some of the people some of the time, but God can never be fooled any of the time. For God is 
he who can neither deceive nor be deceived. This is what Pope John Paul II has been doing in these conferences and will continue to do in the ones that follow. He is giving us reasons for hope, like the first Bishop of Rome, St. Peter, who in the first letter, chapter 3, verse 15, inspired by God, directs us all to always be ready to give reason for the hope that is within you. Be able to explain your faith. That's why I make these recordings, that you too might grow in faith in hope and in love. Until next time, God bless you.